Hello and welcome into the 33rd episode of the Pomo Guy podcast. Quick show note, Mojo is no longer sponsoring the podcast. We've had an awesome relationship for months now, really since the start of the podcast. We've been super happy with them as a sponsor. They've, they've, they've been super happy with us. This is just sort of a, an internal break on their part. And hopefully we are you know, back with them at some point someday. But we wish them nothing with them but the best. Mojo is great. But they are no longer sponsoring our podcast, um, so we are working on uh, obtaining new sponsors. But for now, uh, it is just me and Nick. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good. We're back. We're back to our roots. Uh, it, it feels like the beginning of the pod when we were just uh, building and had no sponsors on board. And <laughs> I'm excited. Mojo was great, and I'm excited to hopefully work with them again one day. But I'm excited for what we have coming in the next few months. I think we've got some fun stuff. Absolutely. But without further ado, let's get into it. So stay the stack. How have things been going? Things been going well. It was, uh, it was a good week, not like the loudest week in the world. Um, on Twitter, we were up about $200, which we're definitely happy with. The Discord did well. Uh, most notably, uh, the Caesars plays for the 33% SGPs. I posted a lot of them because they were you know, dying uh, relatively quickly, but uh, a bunch of them hit. That, that did get posted. So nice to have a lot of success there. Uh, Bet Rivers and ESPN also had good weeks. It was kind of the first week that did well on ESPN, like specifically ESPN, you know, Barstool had done exceptionally well in uh, November, but in the back half of November when it was ESPN, it wasn't doing as well. So it was nice to get some ESPN wins in there, the worldwide leader of sports and overall just a solid week. Any thoughts there, Nick? Or should we keep it moving? No, let's keep it moving. Let's get right into our gambling landscape update. You sent some interesting tweets to us this week about uh, Circa limiting someone for taking advantage of hanging lines. Uh, can you explain what hanging lines are, how long they're typically left out there? And what do you think about Circa coming down and limiting someone who's taking advantage of something that they're offering on their platform? Yeah, so this is kind of like a co-big thought for what we have today. Um, and I thought this was actually super interesting, but also somewhat predictable. So I've been talking for a while about how it's hard for us to, to complain about reasonable limiting. When I say reasonable limiting, I mean, obvious taking advantage of, of sportsbooks, because we can't really operate in a market where that doesn't happen or else every book would look like Caesars. Uh, and while Caesars, you know, kind of like tagline is the way sports betting should be or, or something like that, that's really not what sports bettors in the U.S., the majority of sports bettors in the U.S. are looking for. And that's why Circa's market share is very low in the states that they're in. So Circa has, I want to say to their credit, but, <laughs> but then this happened. Uh, has started to do a few more things, sort of broaden their scope of what they're offering. And my whole thing has been, it's really hard to offer as much as the DraftKings does, as much as the MGM does, you know, FanDuel, all these books do without some form of, of limiting because it's hard to cover all of your bases and not have weaknesses. Well, so Circa traditionally has not had a lot of offerings, but they've added, I guess, uh, like live betting. and. They put up some lines at halftime and then a Twitter account, who I guess often fights with Circa. Circa's Jeff Benson. He's like a spokesperson for Circa. So he, you know, he works there. And point sucks. What he was doing was the halftime lines would stay up for a little bit too long. So a couple plays, maybe even a minute or two into the second half, things would happen and, and the halftime lines would stay up from what they were before. So they'd be stale. And Jeff Benson called it a post part or part post, something like that. And Circa then limited him, which I thought was the predictable big news here. Circa has been so loud saying, oh, this is the way sports betting should be. You shouldn't limit taking advantage of, you know, mispriced this and that, it, you know, don't hang the lines if you're not confident. We hang the lines and you know, we, we stay by our prices, even though all they offer or had been offering really was money lines and totals or like day of wide player, not, not always wide, it's harsh, but player props. And now all of a sudden they have an inefficiency exposed and 
they're doing exactly what they've preached against, exactly what all the other books do by limiting a customer who takes advantage of it. And with the reasoning of, you know, we, we can't cover this. Our technology is, is a little poor and we can't cover this. So we have to limit you on this market only because you are taking advantage of this market only. But really, that's the same thing all these other sports books do. They say we can't cover all of our bases. So we need to start limiting some customers from taking advantage of us. So for everybody that complains about limits, this is just a reminder that it, you know, you want to try and, and stay as under the radar as possible. You want to try and bet things that kind of look as degen as possible. And also understand that there probably isn't a reality of this that exists where you get to just take advantage of a bunch of soft lines without fear of getting limited because even big, big bad circa that is shouting from the rooftops that, that they'll take anybody's action for thousands of dollars and we're so sharp and this and that really we're only doing that when it was just money lines and totals and now they chose to limit point sucks i'm sure that i'm sure he's not the first or last in fairness to them i don't mean to be overly overly critical they have gone back on that and they unlimited him a few days later after a lot of public pressure but just the idea that they are going this direction that they are arguing that they should be allowed to to limit him for taking advantage and this is the same kind of inefficiency that DraftKings limits you for so um, I think that that is just the reality of sports betting and the reality of having all of these markets to take advantage of. So I, I was excited to, before you explained it, I was excited to be the annoying sports gambler complaining that this is unfair. But if they are offering lines that you can't really get anywhere else, it does feel like they're just protecting themselves. The way you explain it, it all kind of starts to make sense. And I I don't really think that there should be a serious outrage about them just protecting themselves uh, when they're offering something that, I mean, if they really, instead of limiting it, they could just not offer it and they wouldn't have to deal with any of the backlash. Well, that's that been the reality, want. but I think that the, the backlash comes from not the limit itself, but the fact that they've pounded their chest about how this is the way sports betting should be and been it extraordinarily critical and to jeff benson's credit i'm pretty sure he said he was against them doing this uh, so i want to be as fair as possible but they have you know pounded their chest saying we don't limit it's ridiculous that you know why why hang lines that you don't feel confident in and you shouldn't limit someone just because they're better than you just because they beat you and then basically the same exact then they, they, they branch out a little bit past money lines and totals and somebody takes advantage and they're like, yeah, we got to limit you. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Uh, and and well, again, do you think that event, their plan is to like as their technology gets better and as they understand that how to handle those types of markets a bit better, that they will stop limiting, that they, you can look at this almost as like a limited beta uh, where it's like once they feel comfortable the way they do with uh, and they've like built their team to be able to post lines that they can stand behind, that they will be able to go back to the company mentality of don't post it unless you feel like comfortable standing behind it. I think that that is a very optimistic and reasonable counter argument to, to criticism. And that, you know, I, I've seen him say that they, they want to get into SGPs, they want to get into, like, they want to do all of these things. And if they are willing to invest in technology, you know, really smart people, and ultimately they can offer all of these things without limits and just and let you bet at reasonably tight prices, which, again, I've talked many times, like their first touchdown prices are terrible, you know, stuff like that. You know, so a lot of the markets they have ventured into haven't been phenomenal. Uh, in terms of width and stuff like that. But some of them have been good. Like the, the anytime touchdowns are pretty good. I mean, honestly, just showing the two ways pretty good in, in this in this world. Uh, but ESPN pretty similar in that department. So I think that, you know, that's ultimately, I don't know if it's them, but someone may invest the money it takes to have all of these things and be protected. And people can try their best and they won't 
you know, at least partially limit, and that'd be great. Uh, I, I hope that that one day happens. I don't know if that's a profitable <laughs> endeavor, you know, just the just the amount of cost that it would take to do that. And it seems like Circle, you know, without the sign up bonuses, without the it would, without all that, it'd be tough to get the volume down. It like it'd be tough for them to get enough. How do I say this? Non sharp volume down where it would make sense to invest that kind of money. But it'd be it'd be great to see a sports book that just had tight pricing, smart, they didn't limit you. And like, if you beat them a little bit, oh, well, like that, that's ultimately the dream. And frankly, probably more similar to how it looks like in finance. Like when I was trading market making uh, and we had sharp customers come to us, like we didn't limit them. Um, We had sort of the opportunity to be a little bit wider maybe to them, but you know, you kind of show prices to everyone and and you, you work hard to feel good about what you shown. Like we weren't really blacklisting customers. Uh, we may have been more careful when a sharp was coming in, but but that but you know the financial market's a much more sophisticated market than the betting market is right now. So I think we'd be many years off from that. But you're right that that could be a one day thing. Yeah, it's kind of just giving them the benefit of the doubt and hoping that that's where it goes and that's kind of in line with their company mentality. Um, if you zoom out, yeah, and, and I don't mean to come off overly critical. Just I, because... I honestly didn't think you did. I, I almost okay, felt like cool. this was when I read it. I was like, this might turn into it an early grinds my gears, but I don't think it was no, critical. No, no, I think no. it was more analytical. Um, if anything, yeah, I mean, well, also because they went back on it, so they unlimited him a few days later. Uh, Jeff Benson said he was against it. Like they, they do seem torn about it, but they also were very open to it. It did take days in public pressure, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think that it's just my only criticism is that they were so critical of everyone else this whole time when the reality was they were never really exposing themselves. And the minute they did, they tried to limit someone. I guess it's just the hypocrisy of that. But otherwise, like, you know, I have respect for them and what they do. And I, and I get it. And the people that were pounding their chest did stay consistent and say, look, I don't like this. So, you know, what are you going to do? Let's keep it moving because we've got a fun, uh, a fun convo ahead of us for our big thought today. You wanted to talk FSU getting left out of the college football playoff. I'll let you present your case. Um, I feel pretty confident that I can argue a good side, though I'm not the biggest college football fan. It seems like a pretty easy argument for me, considering the committee made it for me. Yeah, and... everybody's on a similar wavelength to this, just because how much coverage it's gotten. Yeah. So I'm confident that you can can state the the leaving FSU case well, except for the fact that any debate that happens here is not going to end well for you because of it's impossible to defend the committee for what they did, and not just for the FSU part of it. Before so, before we jump all the way in, did you see uh-huh. the piping hot Stephen A. Smith take on this yesterday? Or maybe it was Monday? I didn't. I did not. Stephen A. Smith Monday morning starts off the sports media cycle by saying essentially what you, you have written here, that it's an absolute travesty, and ends his point by saying, think about it this way. If Coach Prime was coaching FSU, oh, do I they get this. left out? And I thought that was one of the better arguments, but it also just feeds into the other side of the argument where we're talking about an entertainment product and Coach Prime is entertainment. So that might cover up for the fact that they don't have a Yeah, they, they would definitely get left out if Coach Prime were coaching because they'd be six and four. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I actually don't want to start with FSU. So what I want to start with is the committee's mandate. So. Like I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, when I saw this starting to, to happen, the potential of this, the committee formed, they basically said, you know, we used to have computers do it. And it wasn't purely a computer thing. There were computer projection stuff involved, but it was also a lot of the formula was done by uh, AP voters, coaches poll. Uh, I think they had the Harris poll back in the day, if I remember right. And so... You know, though people voting was still was still a factor in this. We decided to change it, go from two to four. There were a lot of a lot of the main reasons for that were there were a few times where like you know an undefeated SEC champion Auburn gets left out. Uh, I want to say that was two thousand four. Uh, in two thousand, uh, FSU got in over Miami. They both had one loss. 
but Miami won the head to head. Like, you know, it, so there were a few examples where like these kinds of things happen. It's like, look, we got to go to four because we can't leave out these undefeated conference champs, right? And we can't have, and we need some people in, in the room so that when there's like a head to head situation, we don't have, and everything else looks the same, we don't have a computer accidentally putting in the wrong team, like stuff like that, right? So the mandate was to put the best four teams in. Uh, noticed that there were five major conferences, only four spots. And a lot of the reasoning for that was there likely isn't going to be five, you know, conference champs that are deserving. So part of this gets mongled in the best four teams. And for the last 10 years, the committee has been relatively consistent that what is meant by the best four teams is if all you did was look at their resumes and look at what they did this year without any outside bias of who they've recruited, who they've put in the NFL, what they did last year, who would you say blind resume tests are the best four teams? Which often just overlaps with who's the most deserving. Okay, so then this year happens. And in my memory, big college football fan, can, you know, basically since I really started watching it, uh, I don't know, 20 some odd years ago, I, I've been following closely. I don't think we've ever had five, six teams like this in terms of resume wise. And what I mean by that is you have an undefeated Pac 12 champ, almost never undefeated Pac 12 champ. They tend to kind of beat up on each other, and especially in such a strong Pac 12 year uh, where the Pac 12 did really well at a conference. Then we have an undefeated Big Ten champ. That one's kind of easy, right? Then we have two one loss SEC teams. We have an undefeated ACC champ who scheduled two SEC teams out of conference, so tough schedule. And then, um, and then we have, uh, I guess, a one-loss Ohio State, if you want to throw them in there. So, oh, sorry. And then we have a, a one-loss Big 12 champ in Texas who beat the number, you know, one of the top five teams in the country on the road in the preseason. So we've never really had such a difficult decision. I remember a lot of the difficult decisions like the TCU Penn State one a bunch of years ago, whatever the 2014 one with Ohio State, like there, there have been a bunch of difficult decisions. I don't think it's ever been quite like this. So the committee, ultimately, they put in the undefeated Big Ten champ who didn't play anyone out of conference, but they were undefeated comfortably. They looked like one of the best teams, they're undefeated, one of the best conferences champ. That's easy. Okay, Michigan's in. They, they put the undefeated Pac-12 champion in. Pac-12 is arguably the best conference in football this year. Uh, and you go undefeated in that, obviously you should get in. The third team, logically, would be the ACC champ. The ACC went six and four against the SEC out of conference. And these weren't, you know, I saw someone say like, oh, six and four, but, you know, some of those, two of those losses were South Carolina, which honestly wasn't even, you know, we're not talking about like Vanderbilt here. Although maybe Wake Forest did beat Vanderbilt, but whatever. It, there was also Miami beating Texas A&M. There was Florida State beating LSU. There was um, North Carolina did beat South Carolina. But some of the losses that the ACC incurred were two of them were Georgia Tech. Uh, one of them was Virginia, right? So it kind of happened both ways. But a lot of the, the true head-to-head meetings were pretty equivalent. And the ACC won those games, six and four. Do I think the ACC is better than the SEC? No, I do not. Okay, so why why would an uh, undefeated champ who beat two SEC teams at a conference, uh, who only had a couple of close games all year, undefeated, blah, blah, not get in? Well, then we start getting into who are the best teams in Florida State. You know, Vegas-wise is definitely not one of them because they lost their very good quarterback, Jordan Travis. Then the next two teams in consideration, Texas and Alabama. Texas, one loss, Big 12 champ. Like I said, they beat a top five team on the road out of conference. You know, very impressive win. Another loss for the SEC out of conference. Uh, who really, and the SEC really struggled out of conference. Uh, they did struggle with Houston. They, they, they went to overtime with Kansas State. They had a lot of close games this year. They did destroy in the, in the Big 12 championship game against an Oklahoma State team that lost 
33 to 7 to South Alabama at home and out of conference. So it wasn't exactly, you know, the best conference championship opponent. I believe they were ranked 23rd. Florida State in their ACC championship game was played Louisville, who was ranked 14th. Then Bama's the last one. I think that they had the weakest argument of everyone out of conference. They lost at home by double digits to Texas. Uh, in conference, they had a lot of close games against teams that really struggled out of conference. You know, their best win might have been LSU, who got who lost by more points to Florida State. Uh, they they beat Texas A&M in a really close game, who got beat by 15 points by you know uh, I think. Miami went like three and five in the ACC, maybe four and four. And, but Miami beat them by, I don't know, like 17 out of conference. Uh, Alabama beat them by three. So a lot of these wins were kind of close. And then you have the last week of the season. So literally like a week and a half ago, they beat Auburn on essentially a Hell Mary, a fourth and goal from the 31, where they were losing. They went off that play. And Auburn, what did they do out of conference? They lost to New Mexico freaking state. So the committee decides, and then you have Georgia who hasn't lost in three years until they lost Alabama, but they were undefeated. They played nobody at a conference. So they were kind of out because they didn't beat anyone this year and they lost their one really hard game and they weren't the SEC champs. Like what was kind of their argument? Okay. So they, they end up picking Texas and Bama over Florida state. Honestly, I think they really wanted to get Bama in. So if Georgia had beaten Bama, I think Florida state would have gotten in. But they really wanted to, to have an SEC team in. So they put Bama in. But the only way they could put Bama in is if they put Texas in ahead of them. And Florida State gets left out. The first tra- travesty, in my opinion, is kind of, to me, breaking the precedent that we've set of the best four, te- of the four most deserving teams. And they want to set a new precedent. Fine. They want to reinterpret the rules as who... Because it's the only argument, it's the argument that they made is they didn't think that Florida State was one of the best four teams. Well, their resume suggests that they were. But if you want to say that they weren't one of the best four teams and that we are solely focused on getting the best four teams. So we're going to put Alabama in because we think that they're better than Florida State. And part of the reason was the last two weeks, that Florida State team that beat Florida on the road with the backup by, I don't know, like 10 and uh, by 9, 24 to 15. And then the one that beat number 14 Louisville in the conference championship game by 10 isn't as good as they once were. But clearly Alabama's better, even though a week and a half ago, we, they, they basically should have lost or could have, you know, fourth and goal from the 31. How often do you, do you actually convert that? And if they don't, then they lose. It's clearly better than Florida State because, let's be real, they'd be favored by double digits if they played, which they would. If it were less than that, I would take Alabama. But I think that's a guess. Like it's a it's a guess that Alabama's better. I don't think it's it's like you know. I think it's it's an arbitrary thing, or objective, not subjective. Like whatever you want to use the terminology there for. But fine. Okay. So they say that Alabama's clearly better because of the way they finished the year. Even though again, the Auburn game did happen. My first issue is if we're doing point spreads and if we're doing the best four teams, FSU got ranked fifth. Georgia, with one loss, the same amount of losses that Texas and Alabama had, was ranked sixth. Does the committee then think that Georgia is worse than, out, than Florida State? Probably not. So we're not doing the best four teams because the only reasoning for Florida State being above Georgia is that they're more deserving because they went undefeated. So then how, like, how do you sandwich Florida State between Texas, Bama, and Georgia when Georgia would be favored against every team in the country? And by the way, Oregon was just a nine and a half point favorite over Washington. So Oregon, so you put Washington in at the two, even though if we're doing point spreads, we're doing who do we think the best football team is, Georgia would probably be double digit favorites against Washington. So they immediately contradict themselves. Like the second they get past the number four ranking, they contradict themselves by putting Florida State at five. Then you go down even further. It's actually very important to these schools who the top group of five team is. And because the group of five, they get to go to one of the New Year's six pools. It's fantastic for these schools that they get to do it. And starting next year, the precedent will be set. They actually get to make the playoff, the number one ranked group of five team. So they put Liberty over SMU. 
I looked at like basically most of the advanced rankings and they all have SMU comfortably ahead, which confirms what I would have thought that SMU would be ranked over, it would be favored over Liberty. But why did they put Liberty in over SMU? Liberty, who, by the way, had the second easiest schedule in the country this year. So this isn't a Florida State situation. Liberty had the second easiest schedule in the country this year. They went undefeated. SMU did. Who did SMU lose to? Well, they went out and scheduled Oklahoma on the road. They scheduled TCU on the road. TCU was pretty mediocre this year, but it's still a Power 5 team that went to the freaking national championship last year. Those were the two losses. Two, two losses that Liberty probably would have had, but they didn't schedule it. And so many years in the past, we've heard teams not get in because, you know, you just didn't do enough out of conference. You didn't schedule anyone. You can't schedule the freaking Bowling Greens and Ball States of the world. By the way, I'm just mentioning who like Georgia was playing. You know, all these SEC teams are playing, but you can't schedule them and then kind of go through an easy schedule and, 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 and incur a loss and get into the playoff. Well. What did Florida State do? They, I know I'm kind of going back and forth here, but they schedule LSU and Florida, two relative powerhouses. I know that Florida had, had, had a down year, obviously. But what more can you do if you're Florida State than, than schedule two SEC powerhouses away from home and you're out of conference and then win every game? Like this whole thing was be like, oh, if you don't schedule anyone, you can't lose. But okay, fine. So then Liberty schedules no one, goes undefeated, and gets ranked above SMU with the reasoning that even though SMU is almost clearly better, Liberty went undefeated and they're more deserving. So if if you're not if you're going to do the best teams argument, you have to do it the whole way through. But they didn't. That all they ever did it for was leaving FSU out, and that's where the true travesty is. Because if you want to make the statement that we're switching our philosophy to do the best four teams, then you didn't accomplish it with these rankings. All you did was drop Florida State two spots below where they should. And if you want to say, oh, well, we, we value undefeated seasons. Oh, we value out-of-conference scheduling. Well, you also didn't do that because you screwed SMU for scheduling a tough out-of-conference. You screwed Florida State despite scheduling a tough out-of-conference. So what is it that you want other than we want Bama in? And the one thing that we didn't want to break was our head-to-head thing, because head-to-head matters. So we put Texas above them, and ultimately that dropped Florida State to five. <laughs> but they didn't say that. So that's why this is my big thought. You can call it a grind to my gears, but I think the committee did such a horrible job handling this whole thing. And it's am I, am I upset? Not that I'm a Florida State fan, but am I upset that they got left out? Yes. Because I think that is wrong. I think it breaks the precedent that we've set. I mean, TCU got in last year. Nobody thought they were a top four team. I think Georgia may have a bigger axe to grind than Florida State. Well, if I'm Georgia, I'm pissed because I'm saying exactly what Kirby Smart said. I'm pissed that I'm not pissed if I'm Georgia if Florida State gets in ahead of me, right? Because, well, they went undefeated. We lost. They scheduled tough out of conference. We did it, right? But don't tell me that that, that Texas is letting, a better one-loss team than Georgia when they... Don't tell me that Washington's better than us. We'd be 10-point favorites over Washington. Nobody in the committee thinks that, that, <laughs> that Washington is better than Georgia, but they went undefeated. So does this show that they, the committee has a larger respect for conference champions than we thought? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, it, that's this, really this the, clearly put a premium on conference championships because I agree that both Texas and Washington probably were weaker teams than Georgia. And they had... You're talking... It's easier to compare Texas because we're t- comparing one-loss teams. And the difference is one of them was a conference champion and the other wasn't. A- absolutely. And I would have loved to have been debating who's the most deserving and having that conversation. and. Conference championships are supposed to matter a lot. So I am not saying Georgia should be in. And, and that is why they put Florida State in over Georgia, because they won a conference championship and Georgia didn't. But you're then ignoring everything else. You're supposed to, like, you're, you're the one rule that we care about with deserving is conference champ, but we don't care about undefeated. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and 
you know, spare me the the argument that Bama deserved to get in because they played in the SEC when we could go down their schedule. Their schedule lost to, to the ACC, Florida State's conference, right? You know, LSU lost to Florida State. Texas A&M lost to Miami. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. if Did they both – did Bama play Florida? I guess they didn't because it's, it's different divisions. Like, I mean, I guess Ole Miss didn't play an ACC team. Oh, Ole Miss beat Georgia Tech. Sorry. That was one of the – that was one of the, the mighty four wins that the SEC had uh, was Georgia beating Georgia Tech and Ole Miss beating Georgia Tech and Tennessee beating Virginia. But the one, the one nice win they had was Kentucky over Louisville. But my, my whole point is, like, don't tell me about Alabama's schedule. You know, what, what's one of their other close wins besides for LSU and, and uh, Texas A&M? It's Auburn, who lost to New Mexico State at a conference. Like, you can't possibly give me this superiority argument when the best win that either Bama or Georgia's opponents had out of conference, because Bama lost their game to Texas out of conference. I already mentioned twice what all these other teams that Bama played did out of conference. Georgia's best win out of conference was Ball State. So yes, we know SEC superior because we've seen it in the past, but they did nothing this year to show it. The best win that any team on their schedule had out of conference outside of the SEC bubble was Missouri beating Kansas State on a 61-yard field goal. Like, okay, is Kansas State even ranked? I don't think they are. So it, to me, it's kind of like a you can't make the most deserving argument, so you have to make the best argument. But if you're making who's the best argument, then Georgia got screwed, and then you're saying, oh, well, they didn't win a conference championship, which goes back to the deserving argument. You know what I mean? Like, like wh- wh- which is it? Yeah, I mean, an interesting... And SMU won their conference, a much more difficult conference, the AAC versus the the Conference USA, the Liberty Center. Yeah, I think it's going to be super interesting next year when they expand. And I don't know if conference championships are going to have the same premium when... Well, they'll be auto. They're they're auto in if you win win the area conference, like one of the major ones. Uh, So all... I mean, the like major the ones champion, with the, with the loss of the Pac-12, there will be only four the, yes, be four be automatic less, bids. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I saw a tweet that said 12 of the top 13 ranked teams by the committee next year will be in the SEC or Big Ten. So it'll be interesting to see it, what happens if like, you have a much worse team in the Big 12 stealing a spot from a one-loss Penn State team or a two-loss Penn State team right. that had to play a an absolute like ringer of a schedule. No, It'll no, be you're right. To see. You're you're ab- you're absolutely right. Especially so while there are still some bigger brands in the AC, but the Big Twelve losing Texas and Oklahoma sort of almost guarantees. But you have the Group of Five spot anyway. You be sort of guarantee that there might be a. Like, could you imagine, like, if Oklahoma State got in this year? Like, can't, I mean, Kansas State, it's kind of like a mediocre whatever. So this year, there's Florida State. A lot of times, there's Clemson. Uh, maybe North Carolina can have an up year, or Miami can have an up year, or I guess a Louisville. Like, you know, I guess the ACC champ will probably be a deserving one. But you're right. that There might be a Big 12 spot in there that, that's a little iffy. Um, I guess the one last thing I wanted to say that I somehow neglected in this whole rant was how badly the committee fumbled the rankings prior to the last week. So a week ago, they had Florida State at four, right? They had, I believe Texas was seven and Alabama was eight. What happened? Like, what did Texas do? They beat the 23rd ranked team who, like I said, lost 33 to seven to South Alabama at a conference and just lost a few weeks ago to UCF by 42 and needed to win in overtime against BYU just to like just to get there. It was kind of like a a very weird spot. They were favored by like 17 points, Texas was. But they won by 28. Was that enough to surpass a Florida State team that beat a higher ranked number 14 Louisville by 10? So they covered by it was a pick'em, so they covered by 10. Like what made Texas jump four spots, or I guess, yeah, four spots from seven to three. And Florida State moved down with their win. Nothing happened. And we've actually seen this before, where the committee just ranks stuff how they feel like, and then they put the four teams that they want to. Like the one a thing the committee has to do a better job of is if you're going to 
do this to Florida State, you should have done it a week ago. Yeah, you should have set them up to kind of expect this and have some of the teams that ended up jumping them already ahead of them. Like it's not like the wins were so impressive. And yeah, I mean the Bama State. win was the Bama win was very impressive. Yes, and I think the reality of that situation is I just don't really know if beating Oklahoma State is worthy of a no, jump of from seven not. to three at this point in the season. No, of course not. But I think what happened was, like I said at the top, they wanted Bama in. So Bama's win was so impressive. I mean, and again, they beat Georgia. Uh, so I'm, I, I don't, I'm not poking fun at that win. Uh, it was impressive enough to move them from eight to four, beating the number one team. And they jumped Florida State in the committee's eyes from a deserving. And they couldn't, they couldn't really put their finger on it because you can't really argue that the SEC was so superior, but they think that the SEC was so superior. Like you said, Excuse me. All of these top teams, what'd you say? Uh, whatever, 12 to 13 will be in the SEC Big Ten, but a lot of them are already in the SEC. Uh, they just, you know, have this idea that the SEC is so much stronger, even though they didn't earn it out of conference. Like, I think Tennessee was ranked, which felt kind of silly. And whatever. They lost to Florida, who lost to Utah, and they lost to Florida State, but whatever. They felt so strong about the SEC that they're like, look, the SEC champ is in. And it's Alabama. Like, they got to be in. So we're, we're putting them in. Oh, wait, we can't have them jump Texas. Texas beat them. All right, put them both in. Oh, shoot, that left Florida State out. Oh, well. <laughs> That's how I felt it happened. I think if Georgia beat Bama, Texas wouldn't have jumped Florida State. And I feel somewhat confident in that. Um, but like I said last week, scram my gears. I think the whole, the fact that Florida State's involved in these conversations is ridiculous. I knew it might happen, but I didn't think that it should. And then especially, like, if you're going to do it, I would have felt a lot better if you kept Georgia in. And you put them ahead of Florida State. Like you just made this whole thing and you put SMU over Liberty. Like you, you made this whole thing of who do we think the best teams are as opposed to uh, every, everything else with the rankings says most deserving. But, and then we're valuing undefeated and all that. But this one piece of it, we're just going to flip around to the best four. Yeah, uh, it's an argument well made. I understand it's an entertainment product. I get why they did it. I think that in the in their current state, FSU would probably get beat up on. And I think the one thing they're oh, yeah. scared of after so many blowout games is they're really scared of people caring less about these primetime games that control like they get to sell for so much and are such a selling point in their media rights negotiations. Having another blowout kind of devalues their entire entertainment product. So I think they really, really just cared more about the entertainment product instead of delivering the f teams that abided by what they had shown in the past was the criteria. Um, and yeah, they kind of did go back on themselves and I don't know if I blame them for it. <laughs> well, again, I think that the one argument is if you're going to do all this, be consistent, do it weeks before, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they just couldn't have fumbled it worse. And I, I, I think the one aftermath of this First off, people are going to say like, oh, watch what happens to Florida State against Georgia. And that's somehow going to prove that the committee was right, even though I certainly don't think that Florida State's one of the best four teams. But they also ranked Florida State above Georgia. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I don't think that that'll prove anything. But if Florida State wins, they're going to call themselves national champions for sure. They're going to go that UCF route. And the NCAA is probably going to grant it to them like co-national champions, just like they've done in the past. They did it with Auburn in 04. They did it with UCF when they did it, when they, when they went undefeated and they beat Auburn in that bowl game. So they're going to get, I'm surprised. I mean, you're seeing all these opt-outs and Florida State seems to be like <laughs> crumbling in on itself. But I'm actually surprised because I think if Bama or Texas win, they're going to call themselves national champs and the NCAA is too. Whatever. I'm curious to see with the whole aftermath of this, like does this just speed up the move in the ACC? You know, because like we said before, so. All these top teams are now in the, you know, Oregon, USC, Texas, Oklahoma, like all these schools have now moved to one of the, the two major conferences, which it's unfortunate because this year I felt like every conference was so, you know, close together and it wasn't, it was all within reason that each conference was very good. Now we're going to have basically two conferences, but you have big programs in the ACC remaining and does this expedite their departure? 
like just Florida State look around and say, we got to get out of here. I know it's expensive, but we just lost a lot of money by not going to the playoff. So I wonder if we're going to see sort of the, okay, Florida State and Clemson go to the SEC and Miami goes to the ACC and North Carolina. Uh, I, I guess they'll probably go to the SEC. But, you know, I wonder if that all gets, gets sped up very quickly here just because of, of what happened. But anyway, that's enough college football. I'm excited for the playoff. I think, I mean, we're going to get some awesome games. So, uh, you know, I am excited for it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if the games go as planned. It'll be pretty funny if there's a blowout anyway. And Oh, there will be. <laughs> FSU will be. And it'll be funny to see if FSU ends up winning their bowl game. Um, I mean, there's the whole thing with the transfer portal, portal being way too early. So you don't never even know who's going to play um, when they're not going for a championship. So... Yeah, I've seen a lot of Florida State guys have already dropped out. It would be so funny if they won. Like, obviously, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be really funny if they won. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break here. We'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit of the end-season tournament. Welcome back in. We are talking grinds my gears right now. I'm excited to see it. This feels like the whole episode has been half a grinds my gears. What's what's enough to get you worked up this week, TPG? You know what really grinds my gears? It, it really. I, I don't like complaints much. You know, I'm actually a very positive, optimistic person, and I'm actually a very forgiving person. So this grinds my gears is a little bit more. Uh, it's been kind of rallying me up for a little while, but I. I do want to clarify, I don't get riled up all day. I'm, I'm, I'm a very happy person. Okay. Deshaun Jackson, a couple years ago, Instagram storied, I believe it was, a fake tweet, uh, quote, but I don't think he knew it was a fake quote, um, from Adolf Hitler. I also don't think that he realized, like, oh, I'm quoting Adolf Hitler. Like, I, I think he just saw it as just some, some quote that got sent to him that was inspirational. And a part of that quote said, that the uh, the Jews are attempting to uh, take down the United States from within, and they work in the shadows to to take down specifically, you know, the quote says Negroes. Um, so that the Jews are are trying to take down, um, you know, African Americans that, that in the United States, and then ultimately take down the United States altogether. Uh, obviously, it's an anti-Semitic quote. It's fake said or allegedly said it wasn't by the most anti-Semitic man in history, uh, by Adolf Hitler. Deshaun Jackson immediately, when he figured out what was going on, pulled it, said he was so sorry, made him sick. He went, he, I need to take some time and educate myself. Uh, and he said he did not realize like that piece of it. He just got sent, you know, inspirational quote. And, and a lot of the rest of the quote was, I think meant to be empowering uh, to black people. So I really have no beef with Deshaun Jackson. Said it, apologized. People make mistakes. Uh, there are other people that have, have said anti-Semitic things, athletes, non-athletes in the past. Uh, and really like, you know, even the Kyrie thing, which I wrote a whole essay about um, on the promo guy account. I, I really like, I root for Kyrie. Like I have no ill will towards Kyrie Irving. I think that he didn't watch the, the documentary because he couldn't possibly have and said what he had said after. And I just, I think it, like, you know, you're, you're young and you make mistakes and, and I get it. And it's, it's, it's really all good. The one person and my, you know, Myers Leonard a few years ago, uh, said a, a anti-Semitic slur, um, like a curse word, whatever. I don't want to equivocate it with, you know, other slurs out there, but it was, it was an anti, you know, a, anti-Semitic slur. And I, I have no, you know, he apologized, said he didn't realize he went to go educate himself. Like, I have no ill towards any of these guys. Steven Jackson, after the Deshaun Jackson post and after he took it down, he said, why did he take it down? What was said that wasn't true? Whew, that got me riled up quickly. <laughs> and then, and then he said, he went on Instagram live and I, I tuned into this and it was, I think it was Instagram live or some live video. And it was like 
probably the most like heartbreaking, disgusting thing I've heard. And I would say still to this day, probably the, the, the one video that upsets me when any and I got pretty upset watching the pen president and whatever, right? There's plenty of things that, that I could be upset about. This one really hurt because of how deeply it felt he believed it. And he was saying, look at the Rothschilds, they run all the banks. You guys don't even know that like everything bad that's happening to our communities, Jews, and they work in like he was saying all these things that were horrible. I mean, it makes me sick like repeating when there's such anti-Semitic tropes that that for bajillion years have been said and and you know as justification. I mean, these are all the things that Hitler used to rile the Germans up against the Jews. And the same thing that happened with the Russian pogroms. Like, these are all kind of the same things coming back. And by the way, literally the same things because the Rothschild family was like relevant in the 1700s. I was just re-looking up the family because I always, I can never believe that, that people are still talking about them. They, they have like a small investment bank in the UK. Um, there's literally nothing on the, there since 2006, whatever. It's not even the point. Like, even if the Rothschilds were or are, I don't, I, again, I didn't see anything with Wikipedia was too bad, but um, even if they were or are bad people, like every, every group has bad people. You don't just say, oh, the Rothschilds in the 1700s were, were doing some not great things. So we need to, to blame all Jews for all problems that happened in this country. So anyway, uh, it really hurt. And even in that video said, I don't care who I offend. I'm a stand on what I believe on. Like, I know I have love for everybody. So, so I'm good. <laughs> the kind of things that Kanye says, like, I love everybody. So nothing I say could possibly be hateful. Well, that stuff was pretty hateful, saying that the, the Jews are trying to bring down uh, African-Americans, trying to bring down America, that we're controlling the banks, and controlling this and that and whatever, all these anti-Semitic tropes. I would almost argue that that in itself isn't necessarily hateful, but it inspires hateful actions from others thinking that that's true. Like, I think that there is a, I, I think a lot of where people think they can get away with saying stuff like that is like, I love everybody and I'm just stating a fact and it's not hateful. And it's like, okay, fine. There is nothing hateful about you stating, like, there's no, like, you're not saying they're running America and I hate them. You're just saying they're running America, but it does inspire a level Well, they're, they're of, saying, I mean, I don't know. I think it's pretty hateful. Like they're saying that they are attempting to to uh, yeah, the, like the put down of other people. The downfall yeah, of America is pretty, that, it can be hateful. That's pretty hateful. Yeah. So, and then he said, I don't care. I know what I'm saying. Look it up. Research the facts. Blah, 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 blah. A lot of the, the dangerous Farrakhan stuff that I wrote about in, in, in that essay. But nothing, I mean, he, so he got suspended for showtime. Like whatever he was doing, he was suspended for a little bit. He kind of like half apologized again. He kind of said like, I love everyone. Uh, he said what I meant to say, if you can believe this, was that the Eagles should have treated Deshaun Jackson the same way they treated Riley Cooper. Um, I don't exactly remember what happened to Riley Cooper or to Deshaun Jackson, like the aftermath of it. So I can't comment on the the differences in how it was approached. But I can say that he was not talking about that at all. And that wasn't his point. And he just kept going on saying like we've we've been we've suffered for forever so why should i you know whatever worry about your suffering i mean you can you can research the whole video i don't want to misquote it but it was a lot of really terrible stuff and i was sad to see today dan levitard show so he's back on all the smoke like everything's basically forgotten everything that he had done nobody ever talks about it um honestly people talk about myers leonard and and um Kyrie Irving, all that stuff, a lot more. And again, I don't think any of that was nearly as bad as Stephen Jackson said or did. And so now he's got a podcast, All the Smoke. And Dan Levitard tweeted, Oh, what a great partnership because DraftKings is now, and Meadowlark Media are now sponsoring uh, the show and they're doing this whole thing. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't need to get into the whole thing. But why is he back? I, I, literally, I, I promise you, every clip of All the Smoke to come on my Twitter feed, every advertisement I've seen on, I don't know if it's volume or whatever, like anytime 
I don't know because I skip it every time. Like it makes me sick to my stomach to 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 watch him after seeing what he had said about another group. And you know, I'm I'm a Jewish person about Jewish people and like what he thinks of me and what he thinks whatever. So it, it honestly just made me sick today to see DraftKings sponsor him. It's sad that um that I like I just have to watch him and it's hard to avoid. Like I, I can't not follow DraftKings Sportsbook on Twitter. As much as I've tried to avoid him in the past, it'll be a lot harder to. And that's my grinds, my gears. Um, again, I, I have like a lot of people, like I just want to reiterate, like a lot of people have have done and said mistakenly bad things about the Jews. Or or I don't I, I don't even want to say that. Whether it's an anti-Semitic slur, whether it's a it's a it's a Hitler quote, I've so fine and forgiven all of it, the Kyrie Irving, the, the film, like whatever. I think that a lot of that was out of ignorance. I felt that what Steven Jackson did unequivocally was out of hate. And it's unfortunate that someone who could say such, and someone who was a leader in the community after the George Floyd stuff could, could speak this way and, and, to, and to shape minds this way. It's really unfortunate um, that he has, he's only gained a platform since then. Yeah. I, so shall we get to the in-season tournament? <laughs> yeah. Um, good transition there. Appreciate you sharing that, though. And yeah, let's move along to the in-season tournament and wrap this up. Has the in-season tournament been as successful as they were hoping? We're now through uh, the first round of single elimination games. We're looking forward to uh, some games in Vegas this upcoming weekend. I know we are, but do you think that it's worked on the general public? Do you think that everyone is, the excitement is up, uh, viewership's up? Do you think, uh, you think it's been working? Yeah, it's, it's clearly been working because, like, you know, we talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or, uh, yeah, it was last week, where I said I don't really get it. I don't really get the in-season tournament. It's confusing with the scheduling. I don't get why I should care. I mean, I guess I get why, like, somebody would want 500K, right, for winning it. But I don't see why as a fan, like if you're a if you're a Knicks fan, right? Like, you know, I don't really understand why you should care. You made a lot of good points, especially for like a young Knicks team. And we see it with like the Pelicans and the Kings, uh, where it kind of builds confidence. You get sort of like these postseason-like games, uh, and you get sort of uh experience with that and you can grow from it as a team later on. So I think the environments have been awesome. The players clearly care. I was watching games till late last night that I wouldn't otherwise be staying up and watching. And not because I, I really care who wins, but just like, hey, there's really good basketball on. So I think it's a huge success. It reminds me of the, the All-Star game a few years ago. If you remember, like the first time they switched the rules where like LeBron and Giannis or maybe it was LeBron and Steph or KD, whatever, were picking teams. And then they had that like first to whatever wins and you just saw like the best players in the world just going at each other. Yeah. I, I feel like that. it's that, it, that Ulster game was amazing. And do I ever care? Do I care whether team LeBron or team Durant won? Like, of course not. But I'm pumped to see like the best players in the world playing hard and, and going for it. Right. And that's really what a lot of postseason basketball is. If you're not rooting for a specific team. So, and you always find ways to sort of like have a team you'd rather win. Or in our case, we, especially with the in-season tournament, they've done a good job of giving us like boosts and, and promos for it. So, you know, there's always stuff that we're rooting for, but I think it's been awesome to watch. Uh, so even if I don't get it, uh, I think it's a huge success because the players get it and the players care. And that's really all you can ask is how many people are watching on, uh, with this, uh, on a Tuesday night, like, couple of i don't want to say random games because suns lakers and Knicks box are like i guess above average games but they wouldn't be watched like they were last night and i think it's really cool yeah i mean i thought that that pacers game especially i think the more fun these games will be in the future i think the best games of these in the future will be the ones where a team that doesn't expect to win the championship makes it and especially we had a very unique situation where the Pacers finished the uh, round robin play 4-0. So they got to host that game against the Celtics. So you got a true playoff environment from a team, a young team where the crowd was hungry for them to prove themselves. 
where you, a team that hasn't been a playoff staple over the last few years, and you get to see that in front of their crowd was just awesome. I mean, I think every other team, maybe except the Pelicans, has legitimate hopes to make it far into the playoffs this year, with maybe <laughs> the exception of the Knicks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just thought it was a really fun playoff environment. And that was the, that was the one game where it did feel like you knew the stakes of whoever lost was going home. It just felt very like college basketball energy to it. Yes, I, I was going to say there was definitely like a March Madness thing. And, and like, like you said, like the younger teams are going to be more fun to watch in these types of things. They're going to care more. They're going to get experience. Like, you know, what did Halliburton say? I think it was after he lost the heat. He was like, I'm tired of being a loser. Like these guys are just hungry to win something. It's all the young guys and LeBron who somehow seems younger than all of them. Yeah. I mean, I have one side question after watching LeBron last night. For a single series, how many guys in the NBA are you taking over him right now? For a single series? I would say clearly taking over. Like, if you, if you want to tie, give the tie to LeBron. Like, who's clearly ahead of him for a single playoff series I right think now? In yeah. a single playoff series, there are a few people that are on the verge. I think Joel Embiid is on the verge. But no shot, but keep going. But has had the like not perfect playoff performances. But in terms of just watching someone dominate a basketball game beginning to end, he's there. You are not clearly taking Joel yeah, no, in no, a no, playoff no, series no, tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm going okay. from the Sorry, people that I'm on the fence with to the people that I'm positive about. Steph Curry, I'm also on the fence with. I think when you yeah. do exercises like this, it matters a lot who they're playing with and. I, mm-hmm. Steph, you can say Steph on the Warriors, like the current. Steph just changes the game and has the ability to take over in a way that LeBron does. But I do think LeBron has a little bit more consistency on him at this point in both of their careers. So I think I lean LeBron, but Steph is just, when you get the right version of Steph, it's scary. And he makes things so much easier for others in a way that, in a way very different than LeBron does, even though they both do it. Um, that's two. I think the two that I'm a little bit more confident in would be Giannis and Jokic. And I'm leaving out the the only person I've left out that I think should be part of the conversation is Luca. And I think Luca is right there on the edge as well. I can't say him definitively, even though his playoff numbers, I think he's averaging like 34 points a game yeah, in the playoffs. He's he destroyed the Clippers. He just kills the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. He's just been amazing in big time games. But we haven't really seen him do that in a prolonged set in a prolonged setting. So I think it's only Giannis and Jokic. I don't think Durant was not the best player on his team last playoffs. Booker is not quite there yet. Tatum has ups and downs and was able to lose three straight games to Miami last year. Um, and I think that's I don't, I don't, I don't know why you said Miami like that. I don't. I think that's everyone in the discussion. Is there anyone even on the on the fence that I missed? Halliburton. Halliburton. Uh, no, you're. I mean, you, uh, you could say Jimmy, and I definitely wouldn't take Jimmy over LeBron. But you know, throw him in the conversation with the other guys just because of how good he's been in the playoffs uh, and in playoff series. But yeah, I, I don't. I, I. I. I mean, Giannis and Jokic might be the end of my list. Uh, oh, Dame, we didn't bring up, uh, but I don't think either of us would take Dame over LeBron in the playoff series. I'm not I wouldn't even take, Dame, sure I wouldn't take Dame anywhere near this conversation. Dame doesn't uh, play no, I, I agree. Just, just, I'm just throwing out names. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's insane. It's amazing. By the way, he did not look like this until the last game of the Nuggets series. They're going to have to find a way to keep him healthy and keep him fresh if they want any chance of, you know, doing anything. Because the one thing I think about is that Nugget series. Uh, and, I, you know, it's really hard to put any stock in the Lakers doing anything. Jared Vanderbilt had to learn how to shoot for starters. But I think about that Nugget series, and all those games were closed, but LeBron just didn't seem to, to be able to do basically what he did last night for a full game. Uh, you wonder if the, if the Lakers want to be competitive at all in the West, 
And, and again, last year, like Jamal Murray shot it really well. Like I thought the Nuggets played really well in, in that sweep that they got to, they got to find a way to not be in the playing game and to have a decent record and also have LeBron fresh, which would be a obviously tall task. And there's a good reason why they are long odds to win the West, but you know, uh, to their credit, they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. They are now, again, this is an irrelevant tournament, but what are they, 5-0 and in it? Like, they do seem to be pretty good in, you know, competitive situations where they struggle in a lot of the, the other regular season games, really both years, the last few years. So they're going to have to find a way for everyone else to care about all these other games, keep LeBron fresh, and hope that he can be this version of himself in the postseason. Um, honestly, like he was in the bubble, right? I mean, maybe the, the big rest was the was the reason. Maybe it was because it was, what, three years ago? So he was a bit younger, but he's got to look like this if they want to, to be uh, any kind of contender in the West. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, agreed. And it, it, it is uh, conflicting conflicting desires to get LeBron you you want to get a high seat so that you're not in the play in but also you want to be able to rest LeBron so it's going to be an interesting job for Darvin Ham going forward to see how uh how they manage those two yeah. conflicting interests all right well uh unless you have anything else that is it for our show today I wanted to say thank you to everyone who donated to the uh in uh, Innovation Africa uh, charity project that I posted on Twitter and in the Discord. Uh, honestly, I was overwhelmed by the uh, initial response, and you know I think we were up to 38 donors and over $2,500 uh, donated. So it means a lot to me. So thank you, and hopefully we can keep that going. And thanks for listening to the show. Have a good one, Nick. Yep. We'll talk soon.